Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Welcome to Secondary Fermentation, presented by East Carolina Beer and Brewing. Today's episode is episode number 49. So close to 50 now, I can actually say it. Uh, Today, I am joined by... Nick. Lauren. And I'm Joe. And welcome back. If you've been I'm Jar. With us. I'm Jar. I'm Australian. Jar. <laughs> we also have another guest this episode. Yeah, we do. We do. Who is it? We have a little baby Davis here as well. <laughs> There's yes. a baby. There's a baby. Oh, I forgot that we were <laughs> announcing that today. <laughs> we talked about it. Yeah, we did. I just completely forgot. But yes, Lauren. Uh, you may have noticed that she's been commenting less on the beers that we've had because she hasn't really been drinking them. Yeah. She is pregnant. She's really she's cut pregnant. down on yeah. her Yeah, beers. she's down to like six beers a day now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm participating in dry January, dry February, dry March, dry April, dry May, dry June. Wow. And alcoholic so dry. July. Alcoholic July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, July 4th. Going to go crazy. Not that it's not the date, it, won't take, yeah. it won't take, it won't very take long. that long. <laughs> <laughs> One drink, you'll be on the floor. Woo! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, but that's our crazy... I think we should have saved that for episode 50. Oh, sorry. Dang. We can restart. <laughs> no. We can start no, <laughs> We'll tell everybody again in episode 50. Yeah, exactly. We'll pretend it never happened because nobody probably listened anyway. <laughs> yes, but uh, this, yeah, this episode, it's not about all about babies but that exciting news aside <laughs> it's not all about, babies. all about babies it's actually not about a baby at all <laughs> it's mostly not about babies we're talking about the drinking age and when one-year-old should be able to drink now <laughs> yeah it's not about babies where uh as you know you could tell from the title that i is yet to be named we're going to be talking about uh beer distribution systems specifically the three-tier system and main, mainly, I, I just wanted to learn a little bit more. I was familiar on the surface of this this topic, but I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into it, see what was a little bit of the history behind it and whatnot. So I uh, thought it'd be a, a fun and interesting topic. Maybe people uh, might want to hear it too. Yeah. I mean, you walk into a, your favorite bottle shop and you're like, where did they get all this stuff? How did this all get here? Where do they get this beer? You think they just go to each brewery and window shop and say, I'll take two of these and no, that would take too much time. The beer stork brings it. The beer the beer fairy. The beer fairy. Yeah, no, I uh got to pop by Jarvis Street bottle shop today, actually, and I was in need of beer anyway, but you know, when Joe mentioned this topic, I thought Lars would be a super interesting person to talk to. Our friend Lars at Jarvis Street. Uh, he's the GM there. And so he knows firsthand what it takes to be, uh, involved in the process of getting beer from a distributor, you know, stocking a bottle shop. And so he has some really good insight. If you're in the Greenville area, I recommend going to Jarvis street and chatting with Lars for a bit. Um, I'm sure he'd love to just talk beer and, um, he'll share some recommendations, but also, you know, he's just a, a knowledgeable figure locally. I think that you know, we've, we've been able just to kind of hear his, his insight and his perspective on acquiring beer. Um, and also brewing beer, too. Yeah. He's taught beer brewing classes. Oh, yeah. You know, a variety of things. Brewed professionally a bit. Might be getting back in that foray, too. Oh, yeah. So that'll be cool to see. But, it, I think he's... And he's he told me today he uh, did some some classes with cost analysis, I think was the... 
term we use, but uh, just learning how to like operate efficiently and I don't say inexpensively, but to like limit your, your overhead costs and just like analyze every little thing that goes into operating a a business. Um, So he's just like well-rounded. He's perfect for that, that job of like (laughs) operating a bottle shop. But uh, yeah, no. So we, uh, we talked a little bit about distribution. He recommended some beers and uh, yeah, grabbed a few. So we got a few for us to try. I don't know if you guys are interested and cracking a beer. Let's do it. Cracking a beer. Lauren, are you interested? <laughs> I'll crack my little baby. Flask. Well, I thought this actually ended up being just perfect. Um, no way. And this is a good one for Joe from New York. He's familiar with Utica Club. So Utica Club has been brewed since actually before Prohibition, but then they had that brief hiatus because of Prohibition, and they actually were the first beer to be produced in the United States yeah. after Prohibition. And they were one, too. Like, we went to the Saranac, or the FX Matt Brewery, which makes Saranac and Yucca Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a little bit of their history stuff, but they were talking about how they sold, uh, during Prohibition, one of the ways they stayed afloat was by selling near beer, which mm-hmm. you would just buy a can of, like, unfermented malt, and then put some yeast in it, and then ferment it at home. <laughs> It's like a do your do yourself kit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was interesting because I mean you know a little more closely about the uh, the history of the brewery, uh, which started as the West End Brewery Brewing Company of Utica, and then uh, of course now known as FX Matt, and then I think Saranac has owned the the rights. Yeah, to that, Saranac but. is like their brand, and then they also do a lot of contract brewing for uh, yeah. places like Brooklyn. Oh, nice. Uh, other big, bigger name breweries, too, because they have actually a pretty big facility, and we did a tour of it. It was um, cold at one point. A couple years ago. Yeah, we walked through like big, huge refrigerated fermentation areas <laughs> and stuff. It was super cool. Uh, you could just tell how old the brewery is. They have their, like, their big, like, copper mash tons and, like, Ooh. stuff, like, huge vessels spanning, like, multiple floors and, like, just yeah. this super, like, cool industrial building. Uh, and then afterwards, you get to have a, Get to have Ooh, beer and nice in the tasty tap room there. So. Yeah, for some reason, I think I had this idea in my head that Utica, Utica Club was actually affiliated with Brooklyn, but I guess I kind of had that a bit backwards. It's the current FX Matt Brewing Company, Saranac. They actually do the collab with with Brooklyn, but um, yeah, no, it was really cool history reading about it today because I was kind of curious about you know the. The journey, especially, you know, being advertised as the first beer sold in the United States after Prohibition. I had to check a little more into that. Um, and the, the, the original owner and brewer actually, during Prohibition, made it a point to keep people employed there. And like you said, they did things like the near beer. I heard they did some, like, sodas and some, like, tonic waters mm-hmm. and things that they could still sell and have people uh, produce them. So they kept people afloat during prohibition when there were a lot of jobs lost due to uh, the industry being just immediately shut down for over a decade. But and they still do the sodas and, and oh, that's everything. Cool. And they've recently branded out with, or branched out with like doing hard seltzers, I think. Right. And stuff, but yeah. their sodas were under the Adirondack soda brand or like being close to there, but it's cool. It's uh, definitely Utica club itself. You know, I remember like my, uncle always drinking it and then uh when i was in college in albany it was like a super like hipster beer like all the like it was almost it was more hipster than like pbr was yeah. and it was like you get it remember you used to get it first like super cheap it was always like two dollars or three dollars or just cheaper than everything else well yeah no offense uh, i think the look is meant to be just like original 
But I looked at this and I'm like, this would be something I'd spend a dollar at the gas station to get. Yeah, it it's just got that. It's like it it's like all gold. It's got the 16 ounce wraparound like marquee on the top of the can. Yeah, and it's got X, like X that pure. old font, and it says Pilsner Lager Beer on it too, which could yeah, confuse a lot of people. Yeah, I remember I used to be like Pilsner Lager Beer. What the heck? Yeah, I think I first had this uh, in 2019. I looked it up on my Untapped account. Um, I had it at Tapped actually on draft. Uh, with with you were there, Joe. Actually, oh, you probably nice. recommended it to me. <laughs> you actually it was it was no just over see. three three years no four years ago to the day. So, um, I've never checked in Utica Club. You haven't. I was surprised. So why don't we go and crack that and you can uh, check and it in? I can in actually now. check it in for once. Brilliant. A little bit of a splash on the pop filter. Crisp crack. Hmm. This beer looks and smells <laughs> like, like a light po- lager. <laughs> like post pre. Well, I guess it's not a light lager. It's just a lager. Super clear. clear yeah. uh, man, I need to clean this glass. It's got a few flavor yeah. crystals on it. Wow. Who cleaned that glass? Um, nobody did. I think we just pulled it out of the box after we moved and rinsed it out. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, this is. Oh yes, look at those. Not ideal. <laughs> a lot of extra flavor. Yeah, flavor crystals. When you say that, I don't know if anybody's familiar with the Pilsner-ish. Um, account used to be called untapped wtf but people would be posting pictures because in short if you get a beer glass and it's got bubbles all stuck to the side of it that basically means you have a dirty glass because all that dirt and dust particles are nucleation points for the carbonation and that's why those bubbles form there and stick there is because there's dirt for them to stick to uh so if you ever have a glass that's just covered with that stuff you might want to send it back and ask for a clean one uh and just a tip if you uh want to hide that you can just smack your glass hard on the surface <laughs> and it will knock it off the sides um had to do that but yeah. yes super clear beer golden yellow yeah the head obviously right out of the can was pretty frothy left a pretty good collar but now it's dissipated quite a bit to just uh kind of a thin wispy white uh layer of foam it's pretty on par with what you expect from a pilsner as far as the head retention it's not it's not going to be super frothy once it's had time to kind of settle but no it's got those loose like loose poppy bubbles you know not a lot of like thick proteins left over in this beer definitely uh uh thinner on the side it just looks like beer yeah if you were like what does beer look like you'd be like this uke club (laughs) yeah pretty pretty typical aroma too it's maybe a bit more I don't know. On the nose, it's maybe a tad more sweet than some other Pilsners I've... Oh, definitely. I mean, like your kind of Budweiser's and Miller Lights of the and world. And it's not corny, really, either. At least on smell. I actually have no idea what the grain bill is for Utica Club. Yeah, and like I said, it's been over four years since I've had this, I think, so... <laughs> Learned to it's smell almost like it brand like new. about to throw up. Well, it smells like college... <laughs> Oh, it's like college. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like a frat party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it I mean, it smells like lager, like cheap, uh, like American lager, basically. I can't tell. Like, I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is not a good indication, but I'm either, I'm leaning towards, oh, this tastes like cheap malt liquor, or, oh, it tastes like a slightly more like honey sweet pilsner. And it's crafty. 
I think yeah, I'm leaning towards like, like the cheap side. Wave either way. <laughs> you could be like, this is cheap garbage, or it's like, oh, this longer was. I actually, I'm enjoying this right now. I think it's not bad. Uh, it's almost similar. Bit nostalgic for you, maybe. Well, yeah, that and just it's just easy drinking. It's it's a oh super crushable. You know, but, it's on yeah. the it's on the level of Yingling, but Yingling I think is a little better. Um, but this is just sweeter. I think that's the thing with it. It's quite a bit sweeter. Well, it's brewed from best quality malt grains and choicest hops. Absolutely pure. Absolute. Huge club. No, I mean, I can only imagine, though, they've kept it exactly the same as far as we know. I mean, as close as you can to the original recipe when they brought it back after Prohibition had been repealed. They've kept it the same for, you know, almost 90 years now, I think. It'll be 90 years in December. Was it 33, right? I think, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, they've tried to keep that, you know, that tradition alive. I'm sure at the time it probably tasted delicious because, it, like I said, it wasn't like yeah. bathtub moonshine or it wasn't <laughs> yeah. uh, ferment at home near beers. So it was like, here's, you know, a first beer that you've, well, especially the it being legal again. I'm sure it tasted extra good. Yeah, they're very uh, ambiguous with their, their, jeez, uh, uh, I can't even speak English. Their, their ingredients, they're very, uh, they just say the finest natural ingredients. Uh, and they still do yeah, call that so. part the West End, the West End Brewery. That's part of the FX Matt. That's kind of cool to keep that part alive too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I read the uh, the brother of the the brewer. Um, I guess that would have been FX Matt. His brother like was in DC lobbying a lot for uh, on behalf of you know the the brewing brewing companies and alcohol and spirit manufacturers. So when they were repealing prohibition. That's how they were able to get the license so quickly. So, like the day that it was repealed, basically they had the <laughs> license on hand, and so yeah, they put out a notice to like their, I guess, distributors or um, anybody that was going to carry their product, and said, "You can come to the brewery at midnight tonight, and at twelve oh five, you can get as much beer as you want." <laughs> well, so, like, they were like so ready just to like unload all of this beer as soon as prohibition was. Yeah, that's I just repealed. was reading this article from like a local news thing on it, but it's saying how. Um, it, they they sold the first beer an hour and a half after the 18th Amendment was repealed. <laughs> so they're like, we don't know how they knew, but it definitely takes longer than an hour and a half to brew a lager. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, like they had it all ready. Because yeah. the prohibition included not manufacturing liquor yeah, yeah. and alcohol too. So They're just like, we're going to take a gamble here. That's oh, that's- yeah, they mu- I don't know. There must have been some indication that it was like on the verge of being yeah. repealed. But uh, yeah, as soon as it was... Got the license. Immediately, we're Did good it. to go. <laughs> Here we are. Come get your beer. But this is a this is a beer's beer. I think. Yeah, it's growing if on me a lot. Just like beer, you know, it's one of those regional beers that's like, you yeah, know, Natty Bow or oh, Yingling. National Bohemian. Yeah, National Bohemian, and uh, what are some other ones that are like just those local American lagers? You know. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like. Again, it, it kind of skirts that uh, gap of being like college beer, like hipster beer, but also just yeah, just historic. This may not be the oldest Pilsner in the U.S., but it is the longest 
since Prohibition, I guess. Yeah. It has that title. Just, yeah, <laughs> the longest because they, I mean, I, I don't know what title you'd give to that, but... Um, sounds like PBR and their Blue Ribbon. Yeah. We had a Blue Ribbon! Wasn't that self-appointed or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's yeah. our Blue Ribbon beer. Come on down. But yeah, easy drinking. Easy, easy going. Uh, but another thing that happened after Prohibition, besides the sale of Utica Club was the establishment of the three-tier system. Uh, And this is kind of a unique concept that you probably don't realize unless you have studied a little bit about the beer industry or you've worked in the beer industry or you just have been curious about craft beer and where it comes from. But the three-tier system basically describes the distribution laws that surround selling beer. So like some i guess kind of almost similar to like the car manufacturing industry like you can't buy product directly from the manufacturer right you have to buy it from a retailer whereas like i guess with the car manufacturer that's only like a two-tier system right because you buy it from the dealer but with beer you there's a distributor basically a middleman Mm -hmm. for the middleman right whereas the store is the middleman for you the distributors, the middleman for the uh, for the retailers. So you basically have the producer, which is the brewery, who actually makes the beer. Uh, they get that beer distributed through the distributors, which is the, the second tier of that piece. And uh, they're basically like the wholesalers. So they get the beer from the producer, and then they sell it to retailers who ultimately sell it to the customer. So those are the three tiers, the producers, the distributors, and the retailers. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, like I said, came right after prohibition. Basically the, the lawmakers in the U S wanted to have the States enact laws to have this kind of checks and balance system in place. Um, namely there was just a lot of trouble before prohibition, which I think was part of the reason that the U S had the 18th amendment was, <laughs> yeah. you know, people saloons had them like people fighting and killing each Shoot other each and other. prostitution <laughs> and gambling and all it's kinds of illegal bad. activity. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> that's what Vegas is for now. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, now it's just legalized in one city. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, it's, they, they wanted to sort of remove this opportunity for manufacturers of spirits and liquor and alcohol um, they had too much control and they were kind of monopolizing things. And, and it also, you know, there were nods to places like that, having sort of like organized crime at, with the breweries and the, the bars being the fronts for that. And so this would be one way to effectively get like a better, a better strike, uh, like a balance from the control of the product and, allowing, you know, still the manufacturers to control what they're creating, but then the access would be more kind of evenly um, spread or distributed, I guess would be a good word to use there. <laughs> um, not to, We've said distributed already a million times, yeah. but um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it kind of came down to that point. You know, they had some, some federal laws for this, but then, you know, states have since then and have enacted their own state laws. I mean, depending on where you go, if you're traveling, you're going to find some slightly different alcohol sale laws, but the main premise is still pretty ubiquitous. So, yeah, that's the thing. The, um, basically the government after, you know, they had the 21st amendment repealing, repealing prohibition, you know, they said basically the States it's up to them. So 
laws vary pretty widely, but the one thing that remains a constant is like the three tier system mm-hmm. within there. So, but yeah, like you said, I mean, really it was an effort to protect the consumer and to protect breweries to some extent, because you, you know, really if you have just them able to sell directly to the consumer, they can do a lot of crazy things. Like right. uh, some of the good examples of that were in, uh, like England and, and things where they would basically own pubs and then like monopolize the pubs around and like the pubs would only sell one thing. And there was a good parallel I saw. I don't know if it was in this article. The article where we got a lot of this information was from craftbeer.com, but they were talking about how, you know, uh, soda companies or soft drink companies can pay restaurants and whatnot yeah. to, to say like, hey, you're only going to sell our product. Which has become less of a an issue and has helped contribute to the craft beer boom. But now we're starting to see like the uh, illusion of choice piece, you know, and that's something <laughs> yeah. that I saw. You know, I've seen some things talking about where, you know, maybe you go to a stadium and they sell Anheuser Busch products, but they have like, you know, Goose Island IPA, and then they've got this other thing and that, but. It's just like you think that you're choosing between a craft brewery and not, but it's really just all owned by the same parent yeah. company. <laughs> so, but so there's ways around this this system. But it was originally con- created for consumer protection to make sure that beer and, and products were coming from valid sources, and to help all breweries kind of distribute on a on an even playing field. But then also to to help breweries. Um, not have to invest in all that equipment and then be able to get their beer out there farther. Right. Yeah. Cause I think that's like a double edged sword when you're like, Hey, we're, we're putting the system in place or now you're able to freely distribute to consumers and you know, there's no tight houses or anything like that, but it's like, well then do you have the overhead or the, the capital, the space to do that? Um, so yeah, the system also allows there to be, that middleman to take the load, so to speak. Well, phys- <laughs> figuratively and literally take yeah, the load. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, an, an interesting thing that came to mind when we first started talking about this and I was, you know, reading the craft com article um, and some other articles, you know, you think about the smaller scale manufacturers or the brewers, um, the, the amount of money you think that would go into sort of a distribution contract, right? Um, even if you're paying somebody else to do the, the lion's share of distributing your product. If you're small and you're just getting started, you know, it's, it's very difficult to imagine you've got, you know, the funds available. You probably just invested a lot of money in your equipment and in, into your space to rent, you know, this, uh, this new facility for your brew house. So um, you'll notice a lot of small places start off doing self distribution, which kind of seems like, well, wait a minute, isn't that skirting the law of the three tier system? Uh, which I thought was one cool thing about, the three tier system is although they have the you know the manufacturers or producer stage they've got the distribu- distributor tier and then they've got the retailer tier they do allow you know for some some lo- states make laws where it allows for the smaller producers to actually s- distribute their own product which yeah. gives them the opportunity to still get some brand recognition get out into the public eye they're taking on the work themselves by doing so but um eventually that can be a success story. It can let them grow their brand, um, get some recognition and then 
hopefully someday afford a distributor to do that work and get into a, a bigger market. I know we've, when we talked to Paul Philippon from duck rabbit and you know, if you go back to our podcast with him, he talks a little bit about the relationship with being a brewery with a distributor. Um, but he started, you know, with a small space in Farmville, North Carolina. And now they're, I think in like six or seven States. And it's just a matter of starting off getting local and doing the, you know, doing the work up front by, you know, you, you drive around in your van and you're like, Hey, you want to sell my product? <laughs> drive, um, <laughs> drive around in a van, <laughs> an unmarked van, actually White van. Hey well, kids, you like beer? <laughs> Come on, I just want to sell you some beer. <laughs> I just want to sell you some beer. There, uh, do you, so that actually also goes into a, another conversation with Lars today. Uh, do you? I don't know if you've heard of that brewery Seven Sounds that's in Elizabeth City. They were mm-hmm. at the Dickinson After Dark um, oh. in October, I think, I uh, in the fall. Them. So they're they're a new uh, microbrewery that's in Elizabeth City, North Carolina. Um, and Lars actually has been selling their stuff, uh, some of their beers at Jarvis Street. Oh, really? Um, and that's how it started was, uh, I think the the brewer, the owner came by and they stopped by and said, hey, do you know anything about Elizabeth City? And Lars, of course, is like, oh, yeah, no. You know, I, I grew up from around there. And so they told him what they were, like they just started opening and they said, you know, had a good chat and said, do you want to sell our product? And Lars immediately is like, yes, like Let's I want to get it. in and support these smaller places that don't have you know, the means to, to get into the yeah. you know, bigger retail stores. Um, and especially the bigger stores, I mean, they're kind of monopolized by the, the bigger oh, distributors gosh. anyway. Yeah. So, um, I think his, his quote that I really liked was when it comes to kind of selecting distributors or self distributors for her, the products he carries, um, he likes to, uh, I think he said, eat the rich and feed the poor. <laughs> so it's kind of, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Sounds I mean, like that, a very that, large thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, which I think is a good a good idea to have, especially for that kind of establishment. Like if you're yeah. a retail store, yes, you're going to have probably more than one distributor, but if you can support some of the, the self-distributors or, um, you know, get, get the products in that are not getting as much shelf space as say a, uh, a wicked weed or a new Belgium or oh, something yeah. like that, you know, that's doing them good. And it's also, I think it's, it's, it's helping your business too, because you, you've got like exclusive product that you can sell. Like, and that's one of the reasons I like going to Jarvis Street is because I know they're going to have stuff that I can't find oh, at yeah. any store. So, yeah, that's cool. You know, you think about like, you know, grocery stores are convenient or whatever, but that yeah. shelf space is so dominated by the big brands and their distribution companies. It's cool to, to go to a local shop that benefits from your business and then also helps the brewers by avoiding that, you know, middleman of the distributor and how they how they can get their fledgling growth, well, you know. And too though from so from the brewer standpoint, I feel like you have to have a lot of trust in the distributing company that they're going to maintain and appropriately store your product because if the end consumer only experiences, okay, let's say, for example, like Local Oak, who doesn't really have anything out in the retail setting outside of their brewery, if he were to distribute something somewhere and let's say somebody got a can of, I don't know, what's, what's out right now? Oh gosh, I'm a bad local patron. Cerveza just came back, didn't it? 
Oh yeah, there, there's Cerveza Negra. I think yeah. was out, and then so say uh, a can of that was out. So, so can, say a can of that was out, and it wasn't stored properly by the distribution company. That's what is going to be their impression of local mm. oaks beer, yeah. and it's going to leave a negative taste in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a lot of trust too that the distributing distribute. Oh my gosh, the distributing company is also <laughs> going to maintain their product adequately. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I feel like it can skew your in consumer yeah. one way or the other. Well, he's even told us that himself that he's ordered product <laughs> and from, cause the one thing that they get in for their tap room is the cider, uh, uh since they don't make awesome. ciders. Yeah. 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 But they said that they've gotten kegs of the cider that have been like 70 degrees. And uh-huh. he's like, if he's like, that's one thing that frightens me if he ever thought about expansion was the fact like that his product may not have that cold chain and may not make it. There, especially with the beers that they brew with all the, you know, there's still a lot of like unfermented sugars and things by design. So if, if those get warm, <laughs> it's going to be a mess, especially if it's in like a can or something. So you have a lot of faith in there. But yeah, that yeah. relationship must be, you know, and, and from everyone we've talked to, it, it sounds like it's a really, I don't say stressful, but it's a, it's a really like thorough process of vetting. Your distributor, and likewise, distributors are you know vetting potential uh, manufacturers to work with, because that, like Lawrence said, that relationship is very important because you're kind of representing your partner in that relationship and that agreement. So you don't want to just, I mean, it may on paper look great because uh, this distributor can get you into X Y Z states and markets, but you know if they've got a bad reputation for not handling product well. Um, I mean, it may not be worth that. So you've got to yeah. be really um, careful about that. You know, we, you're talking about the self-distribution laws and, and things, and every state's different with what they allow. I just was looking up North Carolina's, though, and uh, you can self-distribute if you make up to 50,000 barrels of beer uh, a year, or if you distribute, hang on, if you... Yeah, they can sell and self-distribute as much as 50,000 barrels of beer, which is over a million and a half gallons of beer. That's insane. So that's a pretty huge you right. know, capacity uh, for them. And some of our local breweries around here do self-distribute, like uh, Pitt Street does. They sell to local restaurants, and mm-hmm. they also have cans and things that you can actually buy in, in some of the local supermarkets. Oh, yeah. And then you can also, I mean, so on top of that 50,000 that you can self-distribute, they, they also are allowed to distribute another 50,000 barrels through distributors so they can sell 100,000 barrels a year and one barrel is 31 gallons so i mean 31 and a half gallons i think so that's a ton a ton of beer oh yeah and it's it's way more profitable for an up and coming or a, a new small brewery to do that um i mean I, I don't think you're gonna see a lot of them take that next step into uh you know like wholesale distribution until they can you know, justify the cost and, and to know that their product is moving itself at that point, basically. Um, cause a lot of it I think is early on with the self distribution is you're making those, you know, face to face connections with local businesses mm-hmm. where you can drive to and say, Hey, this is our Building product. Brand. Yeah. Like, would you mind carrying it? You know, we can give kegs for a draft. We can give you cans, bottles, et cetera. Um, so it's a lot of just getting your name out there, but once your, you know, product can like, the name and the likeness is it kind of sells itself at that point. Then I think you can be more comfortable kind of moving into that. But um, yeah, no, I mean, and there's also, you know, with, with the, 
like the consumption, right? So like when we get to like the retail stage of things, that's where, you know, I start thinking about like, well, what about like brew pubs? What about mm-hmm. um, like ta- like satellite tap rooms that don't brew on, on hand? You know, how does that work? Well, that all kind of ties into the state laws for uh, like the consumption after it's been passed from distributor to the, the retail premise. Um, and, you know, depending where you go, again, it's going to be different. It was something that Lars and I talked about again was, you know, some places it's like, for a certain amount of alcohol sold, you have to sell that much food or, you know, yeah. a bottom line of food or you can't sell liquor or alcohol without a food purchase as well. Yeah. Um, and so it's, you know, there are still steps in place, even though, okay, you've been you know legally authorized to sell this um, as a retail, like on-site consumption. There's, you know, other things in place depending on, on the state law. So mm-hmm. uh, once it gets from... I mean, offsite consumption, whatever. <laughs> Nobody cares. Yeah. Take it home, you do what you want with it. But, you know, it gets a little more, a little more, a little more work too when you get to the, the onsite consumption part. Well, it's very convoluted too because there's like onsite consumption for breweries that brew their own. So, like, basically, a brewery that opens up sells exclusively to their tap room. You know, that's mm-hmm. one thing. And then there's like the distribution system for onsite and offsite consumption as well. So that depends on the retailer level and the liquor licenses that they have and all sorts of weird, crazy stuff. Like, you know, how many times have you been in a brewery where they have cans for sale, but it's like to go only, not for on-site consumption? Uh, it just has to do with like the convoluted nature of, of the laws and things with package sizes and whatnot. Yeah. So crawlers to go, like you can't have a crawler in the brewery. <laughs> right. two ounces. Yeah, I'll take two crawlers of your 10% uh, stout, please. Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, what was striking to me and, uh, you know, talking about self-distribution and, you know, how that can lead to a successful future in distribution uh, with like a wholesale company. Uh, and, they, and this article from the craftbeer.com posts about the three-tier system. They mentioned Sam Adams was actually a success story, an example of one that they started off by doing self-distribution and then ended up now being one of the largest North American breweries i mean yeah who hasn't heard of sam adams um brooklyn was also one that started off with uh, humble beginnings as a self-distributor and a little brewery called stone did the same stone Stone. ew and now look at that now they're (laughs) just think (laughs) just think what could happen to you you can (laughs) don't get lauren started on stone so maybe someday pitt street brewing company will be Sold the support. Owned by Heineken. <laughs> Kieran. They'll be sold to Kieran. Kieran I- yeah. Ichiban. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Yeah. So the, the three-tier system, pretty complex, and a lot of components to it, whether breweries can self-distribute or sell beer on-site and whatnot. But, uh, you know, there's some pros and cons to the system. So originally, you know, being created to sort of level the playing field and prevent big breweries from taking over everything and, and to encourage competition – uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of, of different aspects with it. So getting into some of the pros, you know, we kind of mentioned this already, but it basically opens up the, the sales market for a brewery. You know, if you open a brewery and your, your, you know, production is low and you're not hitting a ton of beer and you don't have refrigerated trucks and you don't have refrigerated warehouses, it's pretty tough for you to get your 
your product, you know, more than a few hours out of your media area. Mm. But if you have a, uh, you know, a larger distribution company that has that equipment and can, you know, mitigate the costs of that shipping by carrying other products as well to the same destination, you know, it really allows you to, to expand your reach as a brewer. But like Lauren was saying before, you just got to trust that they're going to get it there in the yeah. condition that you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I can definitely sense there might be some hesitance from manufacturers to be doing that when, you know, you're not the only product that this distributor is handling. They're going to be bringing other products to the same, you know, same locations as well. And so, you know, they're, they're not out just to like handhold your product along the way. It's, um, you know, it's, they have to make their money by being efficient by, you know, like I said, carrying other products too. So, um, definitely I can sense the hesitance, but ultimately, you know, I'm, I think you find a lot of the independent distributors in the U S especially some of our local ones. I mean, I think I, I think you just know them by name. You can see them on the trucks and, Mm -hmm. um, and they're pretty successful. So, I don't think there's too much of a concern, at least in our neck of the woods, but definitely I can see like a small brewery being hesitant to take that leap, yeah. uh, especially in like markets maybe that aren't as, um, like North Carolina is just a big craft beer market. So I think distributors know what they're doing. Oh yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's kind of, like you said, it's a nice like symbiotic relationship between producers and distributors and also with retailers. I think having this system in place that allows, the producers of the beer to get their product into more locations without having to, you know, own the warehouse space, have the trucks, the equipment to get things outside of a, you know, a certain radius. Um, so it's expanding their market, which is good. Distributors, of course, I mean, they're in it for the profit. And, and, and of course they want to make their, their clients happy. They have, you know, organizations that, lobby for you know good practices and distribution for for the independent distributors and then the the retailers i mean they're getting a good deal by having maybe one or two distributors but getting a ton of different product because they can oh, get yeah. all that product from one person funneled in instead of having to shop around at different locations and procure okay. all that stuff themselves Saves so them a ton of time from that yeah aspect. it really seems like overall it's a pretty healthy relationship if if it works well mm-hmm. if there's not any um you know, kind of bad blood in those, those uh, associations and those agreements they have between each other. But wouldn't it be cool? So this is what I'm imagining. I'm not really sure, like, <laughs> what the distributor locations look like. But I, I'm, I'm envisioning like a Costco, but of like just beer. And you know, they have all the different beer there. But wouldn't it be great if like the in consumer could go into that? beer costco and then just like oh my gosh i'm gonna buy this in bulk and buy this in, in bulk, bulk. Okay. <laughs> and like be able buy to a purchase of, uh, yeah, at the retailer yeah. price instead of like club. the markup that you see yeah. when it gets to the retailer and you know let me mm. just like so oriental you want to buy from the wholesaler yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah you want to buy direct to consumer yeah, that's marketing. that's my biggest con with this whole thing is like this middleman. Well, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, something about this system that's unique for, I think, alcohol sales in the U.S., um, having this three-tier system. I mean, there's a lot of other industries where you can go straight from the, you know, the, the wholesaler to the consumer. There's not 
that retailer step there. Not mm-hmm. always. Sometimes the retailer gets it directly from the manufacturer. I mean, yeah, um, it's a bit unique in that sense where alcohol sales, they, they have this in place. But I think it's important because of the type of good that they're selling. It's a little more important, I think, than like a pair of shoes. Yeah, um, yeah, controlling access to it. And that was one thing that I was watching earlier was talking about like, you know, how in Britain they really deregulated alcohol sales and they actually saw like an increase in like hospital admissions related to alcoholic disorders <laughs> and like other things uh and oh, then man. like increased rates of underage drinking and things but you wonder how much of that like you know is is true versus just uh you know a more of a the the article i was watching was very uh pro distributor <laughs> yeah. the video i was watching was like distributors save beer lives and make craft beer possible which to an extent they do but i mean there are you know uh some some cons associated with it and a lot of the cons with distributors you know come from a couple of problems and one of them are these the franchise laws that were created yeah. in the 70s and 80s that basically <laughs> you know, undeniably protect distributors. And this was, you know, initially for, for a good reason put out to, to, so distributors like could work with big breweries that had a lot more, you know, money muscle to flex at them. And, uh, basically it prevented breweries from saying, all right, we're not going to sell you our products. So there goes 30% of your market share right there. And you're losing that, you know, it basically stopped breweries from just being able to spontaneously terminate contracts for them. So, Mm pretty much some breweries will now get in like these unwaivable agreements with these distributors and they're basically forced. So, you know, as we, when we were talking to, you know, Paul Philippon back several episodes ago now, uh, he kind of talked, he, he alluded to that fact of, you know, picking a distributor, moving into a different state and getting in with a distributor is like getting married and you really have to do your research because if there's going to be a separation, it's not going to be clean. Uh, which, you know, you were reading something that said, what, the termination fees for some of the contracts can be, what, three to five times the last year's gross margins or something like that? Yeah. Which is absolutely insane. Like, financially, a small brewery wouldn't be able to afford and to, you know, survive after something like that. So, for better or worse, it is kind of like for life. Yeah. Um, unless there's, you know, maybe a, a finite term of the contract. Not mm-hmm. really sure how that works for, like, a, a manufacturer of beer with the yeah. distributor, but it seems for all intents and purposes that it's a pretty long standing agreement unless there's grounds for termination. Yeah. Um, which are probably, it's you know, probably very detailed language. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the other big problem with them, it comes from the fact of, uh, these like, uh, branch, you know, branch beer or they'll call it, you know, where basically big breweries are purchasing distribution companies and they're legally allowed to own distribution companies. There's nothing in the legislation that says that they can't do that. So how many times have you been driving down the road and you see a beer truck and it's <laughs> slathered with Anheuser-Busch or Miller Coors, you know, almost all the time. Like yeah. almost every beer truck is associated with one of those two companies and they're just massive distribution networks. So uh, it's it's pretty crazy because... He, no matter what, you have to kind of get in bed with big beer to sell <laughs> <Big> your beer. <laughs> big beer, oh, <laughs> big beer's taking over the distribution network. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It, I feel like you know, there's there's already this sense from the craft beer industry that you're you're constantly being undermined by you know the the big 
beer brands, uh, the big domestic names, like Anheuser Busch and Miller's Core, Core Miller Miller's <laughs> Core's Core Miller's Core. Uh, I'm just changing the plural. <laughs> Miller Core's. So I mean, there's you're already kind of behind the eight ball in the sense of you know getting brand recognition, getting into establishments, competing against those big names. Um, and now, you know, when it comes to distribution, it's, uh, again, a, a little more work to actually get, uh, you know, to get the same kind of distribution access without kind of, you know, either sacrificing, I don't want to say your morals, but like, you, yeah, you're, like I said, you're kind of going to bed with uh, the, yeah. the competitor, which, you know, is kind of what they're you're trying to not do actively. You're trying to not really fight them, but you're trying to get away from, you know, the association with yeah. the, the big brands, but... Well, they're trying, I mean, and it's like a big competition because it's like market share, and we talked about grocery stores a little bit, but that, the shelf space, the, the you know, the, the the space in the beer cooler, a fight is just a huge fight for that, and that's another thing that a lot of brewers, you know, especially smaller brewers, are complaining about with this, with the um, purchase of beer brands, you know, bigger macro breweries purchasing independent craft breweries, is that now they're getting that shelf space or that cooler space in the, in the grocery store. So, you know, you have your Sierra Nevada pale ale, you still have your stone in there, but stones now by Sapporo, or you mm-hmm. still have your goose Island there in the craft beer section, but that's, you know, yeah. now part of, you know, Anheuser-Busch's profits. So it's really uh, kind of a pervasive way for them to sneak in and, and get that market share. And then you got to fight the distribution share and be able to do that. So, it's it's a pretty crazy uh, yeah. world out there for beer sales and distribution. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so I, I think we'll we'll continue to see changes to uh, you know state laws for distribution for these types of things. There's there's active lobbying for in, in support of the the smaller breweries that are you know the producers here in this uh, three tier system. So you know hopefully we'll continue to see some some changes that are for the the benefit of those smaller breweries that, you know, don't have, uh, you know, the same access to their own distribution, uh, companies, you know, they're relying on independent companies to do that for them. And, uh, you know, it just, it's a competitive uphill battle constantly, but, you know, it seems like from what we've seen, there's, you know, continued to be, you know, year after year, some, uh, some voices that are, you know, advocating for the little guy here in this but oh yeah overall you know the system was like you said developed to uh in an effort to you know to benefit those parties yeah and it's um i didn't i didn't mention this before but when i was talking about you know breweries owning the distribution companies there have been like laws put into place to cap that so you know they can only self-distribute like 10 percent, mm. or like from their own wholly owned distribution companies that can only do 10 percent of their output and things like that so there are some things to try to combat that and that's you know efforts of lobbying yeah and, and all those things but it's a start it's mm-hmm. something you know some kind of cap i mean i think we've got to keep them to some some level of uh so yeah some kind of cap just so they're not running rampant and um, I mean, yeah, cause if they were able just to go freely distribute a hundred percent, yeah, there would be no room yeah. anywhere for, <laughs> they just like, yeah. okay, we're going to stop carrying these other products. See yeah. Why would, why would you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess moral of the story is keep independent, independent. That's probably the, the best way to, for all this. Yeah. But By buying from stuff. your local bottle shop, you're doing a huge service to 
not only the bottle shop, but the, you know, the independent breweries and the independent distributors that are hoping to get those products there, you know, versus not to say you, like, you can buy from your grocery store and you'll still find some craft beer products there. It's just mm-hmm. a lot harder for those smaller manufacturers to get into that type of market. The larger retail stores are just not jumping to carry those kind of products. No, they want what's going to sell on the mass consumer level. And, uh, you know, uh, Billy Bob's backwater beer Billy company Bob. ain't on top of the list there. So, yeah. So I guess that kind of wraps up our three tier LC. You don't look very ready to get the pick going. The question is not if I'm ready. The question is, are you guys ready? Are we ready for LC's pick of the week? <laughs> you may have noticed if you listen to last week's episode, we skipped LC's pick of the week. <laughs> Uh, one, partly because Elsie was not prepared with a beer, <laughs> and also because we were going very long on our, our topic of yes. beer and food pairing. So, But we're back with we're Elsie's back. pick. We're back with back Elsie's pick of the week. You know, I, I really enjoyed this part, just doing it. It's, it's a fun um, exercise in oh, yeah. beer. Um, <laughs> so one of our local spots here in Greenville, Jack Brown's Beer and Burger Joint, mm. They uh, and they're kind of a regional chain. Oh, sorry. You go ahead, LC. I'll, I'll talk while you're preparing. Um, so Jack Brown's, they've got locations all over the Southeast area. I think Birmingham, Nashville, uh, I think Columbia, South Carolina, Virginia has one, I think near Charlottesville, but anyway, they do a, uh, a mystery beer for their notchers. And thank you. Uh, the notcher, club is if you had a hundred different beers uh notched or checked in there uh you're part of the notch club you get a shirt and all that but um at our local one they do a mystery beer where so actually i got a, a message on untap from uh jeff a local beer enthusiast here he said oh you know i saw you guys have been talking about your cicerone certified beer server and uh, talked about doing a certified Cicerone training and blind tasting, all that stuff. And I, I don't know if he knows about the LC pick, but apparently Jack Brown's, you can actually order a mystery beer and have it poured. Uh, and you don't know what it is, but I guess if you taste it and if you guess what the beer is, you get it for free. Dang. Do you so, have to guess like brand and everything? So or like... I haven't asked for that detail cause I haven't been there really to talk about it, but I want to clarify cause I mean, I'm guessing you can look at it, and so then if you can look at it, then that gives you a lot more clue. Yeah, yeah it clues you into what kind of style you might be looking at in particular. But uh, I'm guessing if it is that case, then you probably have to guess. But I mean, you could look at their menu, and that does narrow it down a little bit. Oh, true. Um, yeah, you could. But I wonder if you have to do a blind tasting like we're doing now with our eyes closed. Yeah, that'd so. be pretty tough. That would be really hard to be like, this is this beer and this brand, especially with all the craft beer that's there now. Mm-hmm. All right, let's give this a sniff. Off the bat. Malty, yeah, not like overly roasty, not really a dark like kind of nutty. Yeah, Sweet. I could get nutty, chocolatey, maybe a little bit like hazelnut. Yeah, definitely some like deep notes of like dark chocolate or kind of like bittersweet yeah. chocolate. Not getting a huge, you know, amount of information on the nose on this, but I am kind of stuffed up, so I'm just getting that those base layer flavors. You know, nothing, no mm. real hop character coming through or bitterness that's easily detectable for me. Yeah, I took my first sip, and the body is pretty pretty light. Uh, not really a viscous beer, so I'm not thinking it's going to be any kind of like huh. 
Imperial Stout, of course. It's also, yeah, not overly roasty or coffee note. It's kind of no, but it does have chocolate a, and nutty. A, a drying bitterness on the finish, but it's still sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely a little bit of a dryness. This uh, is gonna be tough because I'm in between a porter hmm. and like a and a brown ale, like a really nutty brown ale. And I think what I'm thinking of is the is the rogue. Um, what's their nut brown that they've got, or is it just called that, like hazelnut brown or something like that? I'm probably wildly off, but that's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Slightly roasty, more of a caramel sweetness coming to it. All right, I'm taking a peek. Mm-hmm. Well, she's dark in color, so yeah, uh, yeah, I might be off with that brown. I don't know. I, I, I could, I could see it being yeah. a brown ale. Maybe, maybe like a porter, but I would say if it's porter, it's got to be like kind of like adjunct with uh maybe some like hazelnut or some kind of nut. Mm-hmm. Once you said that, it really just clicked for for my brain. Yeah, definitely a little caramelly too, but it's like sweet, a bit like earthy, but not like a coffee roast or any kind of like dark roast. It's just uh, I guess that's like some. You know, dark malt complexity, but yeah. it's not like it doesn't remind me of like smoke or like a, a you know a really dark stout. It just kind of has a yeah. more com- complex malt bill where it's sweet, nutty, touch roast, but not too much. No, really palatable, really light. I'd guess the ABV is probably six to seven tops. I don't think it it doesn't drink no. really heavy. It is dry. I'm going to guess 5.7% ABV. <laughs> I'm probably, this will be the week that I'm terribly off. I'm going to guess brown ale. That's I do not, like that's that. That's what I'm guessing, but it's just dark. It's a very, it's a lot darker, yeah. but it is still lighter on the edges. Um, brown ale. Or, I think uh, it's like, as I'm getting to the bottom of the glass, like, yeah, it definitely has a lighter hue. The head is like an uh, off-white tan. Elsie's laughing at us, Nick. <laughs> oh no, it's oh, a sour. No. It's <laughs> Oh my gosh. It's a sour. It's a Coca-Cola. <laughs> no. So what was your guess on the ABV? I said 5.7. I was guessing, I'll say like 6.2. You're closer. It's 5.4. Oh, it's Dang, lower than I dude. thought. Wow, yeah. Wow, I'm still getting close with these ABVs. I'm like a, ABV is. I'm a he's like locked in. So overall, hydrometer. what style do you think the beer is? It, if it's Are not brown ale, I'm yeah. thinking it's going to be a porter or an Irish stout. Wow, not really. I'm changing lanes super uh, fast. I think it's a brown I think ale. Being, I think brown I think, ale. Um, the color of the beer is kind of throwing. You. Is it a is it like a coffee blonde? Cause it's not like coffee, well, but that's the only. Why <laughs> Oh yeah, I guess it's. Yeah. What's the one where it's like? Uh, is like the. Isn't there like a blonde that's? Never mind. What am I thinking of? Well, I know what you're saying you're talking about like a lighter beer that's that's. Yeah. Uh, so what if uh, I told you, um, this is a North Carolina beer. Okay. Neither of you have had this. Okay. Um, it's from Brewery Bivana. Brewery Bivana. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I haven't really had dark beers from there. Yeah. Um, what is it? Is it like a? I can't remember if we've discussed this style. Is this? Is it kind of like a seasonal type 
think so. It's a German black lager. It's a lager? Uh-huh. Wow. Wait. Not... <laughs> a Schwarzbier? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I think I don't think it drinks like one. That's oh, really? it's very I can't. Cuz I've had a few Schwarzbiers but... before, but like in a this does not taste like a lager. I mean, it's clean. I think what's really throwing us off is there's that earthy, roasty finish that's quite bitter, which I don't yeah. associate Schwartz beers with that usually. No. But I feel like once you guys saw the color of it, though, your um, impression of the beer changed. Well, I also thought, I mean, the whole time I was saying that brown, so I may have also switched Nick's, um, no, but like, yeah, I, I think the complexity of it made me lean towards a brown ale or a porter because those typically have and it's sweet, some like, like it's pretty sweet, sweet too. backbone. Whereas, like, a Schwartz beer, I think of just as basically a roasty lager. I mean, hmm. definitely threw me for a loop. Yeah, so the can reads, this dark dry lager has all the roasted tones of an Irish stout, but with the clean dry finish of a Bavarian lager, perhaps our most stylistically traditional beer, against a deep amber black hue from Munich, Cara Munich, and Carafa, Carafa, three malts, <laughs> and just a little bite from Halatar, Mittelfroh, one of the world's full noble hops. You know who has a really good Schwartz beer? Duck Rabbit. Yes, they do. So BJCP is coming in with a you know overall impression of dark German lager balances roasted yet smooth malt flavors, moderate hop bitterness, lighter body dryness, and lack of harsh burnt or heavy aftertaste make it quite drinkable. So you noted like early on about the kind of like bitter dryness mm-hmm. that would be. Good characteristic, but yeah, just I guess it was a bit more sweet and less roasty than I would have guessed for yeah a German dark lager. Yeah, hmm. and I mean flavor profile or light to moderate malt flavor with a clean neutral character uh, can be moderately rich or bready malty. Light to moderate roasted malt flavors, shade, but it's never burnt. Proof. Low to medium bitterness, uh, light to moderate spicy floral or herbal hop character, clean lager. Aftertaste tends to dry out and linger, featuring hop bitterness with a complementary but subtle roastiness in the background. Some residual sweetness is acceptable, but not required. Hmm. So interesting. Yeah, I guess I, w- I haven't had too many examples of a Schwartz beer, so it wasn't sitting where I thought it would. But I mean, according to that, it hits a lot of the characters. So. But tasty nonetheless. Just a little different style yeah. than I thought. Good pick too, because it really threw us for a loop. I think that's yes, a we nice need to trick. challenge ourselves. We were like, it's a Whoa. it's a hazy the IPA. Definitely, the eyes definitely got into my head there. <laughs> it's a sour. You got it correct. It is a sour. It's water. Oh my gosh! Did you see that tic tac? Tic-tac. Tic-tac. You can't see that, tic-tac. Uh, did I send you the TikTok of the old man, or was it real? But there was a thing of the old man. Do You know, like, the challenge where people drink straws out of a box or whatever? Oh. And there's multiple things. And he, like, <laughs> took a sip, and he was like... Root beer. Root beer, but it was, like, Sprite. Sprite. Yeah. <laughs> he's going down, and he's like, water? Oh, that's not water. There's yeah. no water. I'm like, 
Also, root beer has a very distinct flavor. <laughs> yeah, I like, know. Right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> when you're old, your taste buds don't work as well, apparently. So. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, we should try that with uh, with beer sometime. Yes, uh, yeah, yes. I keep saying I'm going to do that. And the time I was going to do it, yeah. we went to Food Lion, and all the, like, the one-off beers were gone. And I'm like... Yeah, they're a, doing. They really have done away with the like mix and match craft beer samplers, which is they have that at Wegmans. But the thing was, I think yeah, Wegmans I think was a good example of that. Um, but what I noticed is that even that section where we're supposed to be like a craft beer mix and match, it was so flooded with like Mike's hard and like oh, seltzers yeah, just like that and, junk, and you're like I don't want like, Bud Light. Read it. I'm like these aren't. Like, get these out of this section. This section should be exclusive to craft beer. Yeah, it's like I'm not paying $2 for a can of friggin' Mike's Hard Lemonade or right. something. Gosh. Or even, like, they'd have, like, Lining Kugel yeah. stuff. I'm like, I mean, that's borderline not craft beer. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing now? Like, get this summer shandy and this, like, chocolate whatever out of here. Yeah. Um. So, they, it kind of was saturated with not craft beer anyway, and now it's just mostly faced out of the store so yeah exactly again more reason to go to your local bottle shop exactly well you can do a pick six anytime anytime uh but yeah so that wraps us up lc got us good on that one what'd you guys learn today a lot i didn't realize that there was a system called a three-tier system (laughs) (laughs) i learned everything i just learned the whole topic i learned that uh utica club was the the first beer sold after prohibition ended oh Legally. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned that too, but um no, I I learned a great deal myself. I think the biggest lesson learned here was you know, I, I often thought of like distributors as just kind of this uh you know I, I guess I didn't realize the extent of like what an independent distributor the value they add to mm. that uh that three tier system. Like not to take away from hardworking men and women who are distributors, but um, kind of reading more into about it, uh, more into the the different tiers, I realized how much value are added from both ends of that system from the um, from the producer to the retailer. Like oh, you yeah. often just think like, oh, it's a middleman, but really when it comes down to it, while there are challenges, while there are maybe some pros and cons, I think overall the, the relationship's very beneficial for for both users so yeah um, definitely gave me some newfound respect for for distrib- distribution companies especially the independent distributors oh yeah yeah well on that note we are wrapping up for episode number 49 as always you can reach out to us with your thoughts uh, we're on instagram at east carolina beer on gmail east carolina beer at gmail.com on twitter at east beer facebook east carolina beer and brewing and don't forget to check out our website east carolina beer.com even though we have been a little delinquent with updating it lately uh <laughs> yeah but feel free to reach out to us and uh We'll catch you on episode 50. Big milestone there. Ooh, yeah. Stay tuned for 50. Yeah. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.